Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, uh, Matthew 13, 24, and going through about verse 43, or at least that's the plan. Um, so last time, if you remember, we talked about basically the first 23 chapters of Matthew 13. A couple times ago, we went over an introductory section into the uh, the, the idea of parables being these kind of fables, like, like fake stories, made-up stories that Jesus is telling to get across a point, uh, communicating with people on a level that they can understand to get them to recognize a spiritual reality if they're willing to think deep enough in it. And so last time, last episode, we had one such example. We talked about the sower who went out to sow, and there are the four types of ground, and of course, what does it all mean? The disciples end up asking, they don't really know. Um, and Jesus explains that parable to them. Jesus explains how he's giving them a spiritual message by means of a physical story, and that's going to give us a lens by which we can look at all the other parables in this chapter. So hopefully that made sense last time. Hopefully that uh, continues making sense this time as we're going into another set of parables. We're going to look at three of them um, in this episode and try to figure out what's going on with those. So in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus starts his next, his next story, I guess, in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat into my barn. And so here we have this picture of the kingdom. Now, if you remember from last time, talking about the sower, Jesus just, in, in verse 19, he says, hey, the word about the kingdom, he equates it to the seed that the sower is sowing. And so the, sower, the, the sower's parable is all about a man who's going out and sowing the word of the kingdom, and now he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. We're going to see that a few times today. Uh, the kingdom is going to get mentioned a few times, and I'll mention it at the end as well. But you see this this kingdom of heaven, it's like this guy who's just going out sowing seed like you do normally. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I have no experience with farming, but I guess that's just what you do. Go out. Um, he scatters good seed, obviously. See, it's, it's going to be profitable. It's going to make something that's worth something. He throws it out in the field. And for some reason, some enemy of his, I don't know what the enemy's motivation is, but really uh, trying to allegorize every single bit of every single story, every single detail, that's uh, not really going to work. And Jesus doesn't try to do that, even when he interprets them. This enemy comes in and just sows some weeds among them, hoping to mess up the crop, I guess. And so eventually... They figure it out. Eventually, the servants see that, and they say, Hey, um, why are there weeds in your field? You, you didn't sow these. You didn't sow these weeds, these tares, as some of the older translations say. What? Where did they come from? Can we get rid of them? 
And the master says, no, no, if you, if you get rid of the bad stuff, you're also going to get rid of the good stuff at the same time. We can't afford that. We can't lose the crop. So here, here's what you do. We're going to wait, and eventually, when we harvest everything, when we pull all of it up after it's all full grown, we'll be able to tell the difference between wheat and weed, and we can just sort them out right then. And so let them grow together. That's fine. Uh... You're gonna get rid of the weed. You're gonna get rid of the weeds either way. It's just one of them. You get wheat out of it after the harvest is done, and one of them you preemptively kill the wheat and don't get any return. And so let them all sit, and we will deal with them eventually. And so your question would be, what does this mean? What is it that Jesus is trying to get across here when he's telling this parable of the tares and the wheat, or the or the the wheat and the weeds, as this translation says? Um, it's kind of weird. When you think about it, just the story, it's kind of odd. I mean, eventually you're going to be able to recognize some things. Maybe you can reason it out from this, and I think we should try to. That being said, I'm not going to try to, because I know Jesus is just going to explain this in a little bit, and so we're going to get to that passage there. We're going to read through that uh, and work through that as well. But think about what Jesus is saying. There's a lot of information here. There's a lot of things that are going on here, and there's a reason that the disciples are going to need this explained to them, because they are not going to get it. And so if you want to, by all means, think through what that could mean on your own time, and then we'll come back to this episode later, and, and we'll talk about the rest of it. We'll talk about how Jesus interprets it. Um, But in the meantime, let's look at a second story. Another story that Jesus tells in verse 31. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Okay, so you have this other picture of the kingdom. Uh, you had a picture of the kingdom in the, the, the tares and the wheat parable. We'll talk about that and whenever we get to the interpretation part. Um, you have the kingdom picture there. You have another kingdom picture here. It's like this mustard seed. Now, again, I'm not a farmer. I don't even know. Are there mustard tree farmers, I guess? I don't, I don't really know. Um, the best that I can gather from what this mustard seed is is it's really, really small. And you plant it, very, very small, but it grows into a decent-ish height tree, sort of. It's tree enough that it's taller than the bushes and that you can tell that it's supposed to be a tree. But from what I've gathered, uh, it's not a very impressive-looking tree. But that's not really what Jesus is concerned about. Right, that's an idea that we could pull from this, but that's not really what Jesus is concerned about at all. It's taller than the garden plants. It's better than those things, and it becomes a tree. It's tree enough so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. It provides a home. It provides safety and shelter to animals. And so you think about this, and, well, let's go ahead and interpret it. What does that mean? kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed is the kingdom of heaven going to be a a small tree 
that what it's gonna look like is that its physical form or is that how it's gonna appear in heaven or or what is jesus going for here well that's the question here's my best shot at attempting this and of course everybody's going to have well everybody may well have slightly different interpretations of this but here's mine here's how i understand it mustard seed pretty small pretty unimportant and yet when you plant it you can tell it's it's actually a tree now it's not a super impressive tree it's not an intimidating tree it's not one of those where if you climbed to the top you'd be terrified of falling because it's i don't know a california redwood or something like that it's not like that but it's you know bigger than a bush pretty good and it provides for those who come to it and so here i'm thinking the birds represent people the birds that come come and shelter in its branches the people can have some kind of safety some kind of shelter they have a place to go to with this tree and yeah it doesn't look like much and yeah it might not be the most impressive but it is still a tree it's still something that god made it's amazing and it provides for its inhabitants its residents that's what the kingdom of heaven is like it's good it fulfills its job it might not look super impressive i mean not all that many church buildings do um but that's not the point the point is that the people the point is the members of the kingdom and not not how it looks not how impressive it looks not not how many people you can get together into one gathering it's about every individual person and so the kingdom in this sense yeah maybe you don't get super impressed by it but that's okay because it does its job i hope i explained that uh i got a little bit rambly there so i'm sure that didn't that doesn't translate as well as i want it to but that's okay hopefully you get the overall point of that in verse 33 he's going to tell another parable uh matthew chapter 13 verse 33 he told him another parable the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. And so you stop and think and you say, what is he talking about? Are we now talking about bread? I thought this kingdom was a tree. I, I thought this kingdom was supposed to give birds a place to stay. Now, how does the bread give birds a place to stay? If you could work that one out, um, I'd be very interested. Um, what does it mean? And of course, the interpretation, it's pretty simple um well at least we think of it that way the interpretation think about this it's not uncommon in those days for a woman to bake bread in a kitchen somewhere right that's not a foreign concept in fact that's probably an everyday thing every day except the sabbath of course um six days a week stuff like that's happening not uncommon not super special rather humble beginning even not something that's typically noteworthy and yet all of them know it all of them have experience with somebody baking bread in a place you know that's not an uncommon thing and so he likens it to that and he says you know it's it's like the leaven that's put into the flour that when it gets when it when it gets mixed in it affects everything and you can tell if you bother looking at bread you can figure out if it's leavened or unleavened just by a cursory examination in the same way if if the kingdom is 
inside a person, if the person is a member of the kingdom, you should be able to tell that by even a cursory examination. They don't do what other people do. They don't talk the way other people talk. They don't act the way other people act because they are part of the kingdom and those other people are not. And so it's just, it's so simple. It's so humble. And yet it's so very plain for us to see. Kingdom of heaven, it's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. And now we have a strange little interlude. Now we have just just kind of a couple verses of, um, I don't know, it's, it's a bridge between this section and the next section. In verses 34 and 35, uh, Matthew 13, verse 34, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. He did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so the question is, what what precisely is Jesus doing? Right, Because he's talking to these people in stories, and you'd think that he would want to communicate with them in ways they would understand. And so if they're having problems with these stories, then he explains the stories, right? And yet he just doesn't. He doesn't, and it seems odd. It seems like that wouldn't make any sense. If Jesus is trying to teach people, then why would he not explain it? But what you're going to see, right? what you're going to see, what you saw earlier with the parable of the sower and what we're about to look at in just these next few verses, 36 and on, you're going to see Jesus actually explaining what's going on. And who does he explain it to? But his disciples, who firstly, they are elect, they are special, they are different. That is fair. Uh, But the common theme in both of these explanations that he gives is that the disciples come and ask him. I don't get the indication that the crowds are bothering asking Jesus so much as they're just waiting for him to just spoon feed them and tell them what to do. Jesus isn't having that. He's not going to just keep giving to them when they don't actually want it. And they're proving not wanting it by just not doing anything about it. And so Jesus is speaking to them in parables. Maybe he hopes that they come and ask him. Maybe he hopes that they'll take an interest and be part of this, engage in the conversation, but they don't. And ultimately, what's going to come of this is nothing short of a fulfilled prophecy. Now, this is pretty cool. Um, some, some prophecies, of course, like Jesus' birth, he didn't really have a hand in that. I mean, okay, well, okay, he is God, so God worked things for that to work out. I suppose you could argue that. Um, but, you know, we don't really have a hand in where we're born, and so some prophecies just kind of work. Some prophecies he makes work. This is a prophecy that says, I will open my mouth in parables. Well, so he talks in parables because that's what's prophesied, right? Some of the prophecies just happen. Some of them he makes happen. They're equally legitimate either way because he's fulfilling them. He's just the only one to fulfill all of them. Um, Nobody else has managed that one. And, And what does he quote? You know, it's interesting. If your Bible has cross-references, go ahead and look for that. Um, Because what he quotes is not from a prophet, like we would think. Matthew says, 
he, what was spoken through the prophet. So obviously this guy is a prophet. Um, but this is from Psalm 78. Psalm 78 written by Asaph, the king's like musician or, or choir director or something or other. Um, David's psalmist. This guy's a prophet now? It's very, very interesting. It makes you wonder how much of the stuff he said um, it did end up in the Bible. How much of that was inspired directly from God? Or, I don't know. I don't know. But he has a, well, he's a little bit more important than just being relegated to an Old Testament character we don't know anything about. Um, so think about Asaph singing this song, Psalm 78. This is one of the longer psalms. It, it's pretty long. There's a lot that goes in here. Um, look at Psalm 78. This is quoted from verse 2. Let's read the first, like, four verses. Psalm 78, verse 1. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. That's what Matthew's quoting. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. Now, this is kind of weird, if you think about it, because, like, verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but Jesus is speaking in parables so that he specifically hides the truth. Maybe we should use a different word. He obscures the truth so that it's mu much more difficult for these people to find it. How do you reconcile those ideas? We're not going to hide it, but we are going to speak in parables that people don't understand? How do you reconcile those two? And I think what's going on here in, in Psalm 78, where he says, I will declare wise sayings, I will speak mysteries from the past. It's interesting that if you go on and read the rest of the psalm, what Asaph does essentially is he pulls in elements from th things that they've already seen. Um, verse 9, verse 10, those are things that have happened. Verse 13, that's the Red Sea. That's not unfamiliar. Verse 15, that's a reference to Exodus 16, I think. He split rocks in the wilderness. He does that a couple times. Exodus 16 is one of them. Um, they continue to sin against him in the desert in verse 17, uh, asking for, for manna and quail. You know, it, it just keeps going. And Asaph uses stories that they're all familiar with. He uses past events to tell of the current happenings. He uses past events to point to the power and the goodness of God. And what is Jesus doing but using past events like a sower, right? Someone who has, a farmer who has seed who goes out in a field and throws it around. That stuff, every one of them has seen. Every one of them knows that stuff intimately. And he's using that picture to teach the attributes of God. He's using the picture of a woman baking bread, which is something that they all know. And he's using that to teach about the attributes of God. He's using the mustard seed, which they've all seen. Some of them might even be mustard tree farmers, if that's a thing that happens. Um, some of them probably have those jobs. And he uses that to communicate the attributes of God. What Jesus is doing when he opens his mouth in parables to declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world, as Matthew says, when he's talking about the, the mysteries that have always been, 
Jesus is revealing God through the lens of something that is common, that they all share in, and that they all know. That's what Asaph is doing. And so ultimately, when Asaph talks about, you know, letting the children know what's happening, Jesus is just giving them truth in the form that they could digest it if they so chose to. Because ultimately, the learning is on the part of the listener and not super much on the part of the teacher. You know, it, it's super important that a teacher does his best to teach clearly and to teach rightly. I, I am aware of that. That's what I try for, even though uh, it doesn't happen all the time. It's the teacher's job to do that, yeah? But it's also the learner's job to listen. And so Jesus has given it to them. The question is, will they take it? I don't believe this is a contradiction of Psalm 78. No, I think Matthew's right when he names it a fulfillment of Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. Because you people don't know what it's like, but I'm going to compare it to a sower. I'm going to compare it to the mustard seed. I'm going to compare it to the leaven. And I'm going to keep comparing it to things so that we can get a picture of what's going on in God's kingdom. I hope that makes sense. I, I think that's the right way to understand it. Uh, I could be wrong on that. There could be many better ways to explain it than I just did, uh, but hopefully that's helpful in getting you to think about those passages. So the rest of, well, not the, not the rest of this chapter, but this the next section is going to go back to the, the tares and the wheat, or the wheat and the weeds, whatever you want to call it. Um, let's not call it either of those, actually, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But uh, Jesus is going to come back and explain this earlier parable because the disciples apparently got those two in the middle, but they didn't get the longer one, and so they're going to ask him about it. Uh, Matthew 13, let's start reading in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went away into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, the one, who sows the, good seed, we, uh, sorry. the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping of gnash and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. And so Jesus leaves the crowds behind. He goes into the house. I don't know what house that is. Is that his house? Is that the house he's staying at? I don't really care. It's not relevant. He goes into a house. He goes into a more private place. His disciples with him, apparently. And his disciples say, hey, um, we didn't get that one. Can we understand what's going on? And Jesus just explains it to them. If you're willing to ask, he's willing to answer. I, th I don't think that's just because they're the disciples, although it might be. I don't think it's just because they're disciples. I think it's because they're actually looking, uh, not just waiting for him to spoon feed them everything. And so they say, hey, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field, to which he replies, it's not about the weeds in the field. It's about the Son of Man. 
right? If it's about the weeds in the field, why does he not start with the weeds in the field? If you go back, if you go back, look at the parable of what we call the tares and the wheat. In verse uh, 24, I need light. Hold on. Sorry, it got really dark outside and I can't read anymore. Um, <laughs> if you if you go back to verse 24, he says, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. It's not about the weeds. It's not about the wheat. No, it's about the man who's sowing. And so what we call the parable of the tares and the wheat or the, or the, the wheat and the weeds, whatever you want to call it, what we call that parable it's not really about that it's actually the sower part two right in the first one we had the sower who sowed seed and jesus was using that to emphasize how the kingdom of heaven is spread how he is this this sower and of course we can apply that figuratively to us as well but he is the sower he's throwing out the seed to everyone and you want to be one of those hearts that's going to receive it now he's using this, this part two of the sower analogy to talk about the judgment. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The one who initiates everything is the son of man. It's Jesus himself. Y'all need to pay attention to that. And now we can also talk about the field. We can also talk about the good seed and the bad seed. We can talk about the harvest and the enemy and the angels and, and whatever else there is. But ultimately... Verse 40, you know, the weeds are gathered and burned. That's what's going to happen. And if you're on, if you're in the weeds side, then uh, you're going to face that fate too. I think the son of man point is super important because not only does it show up in verse 37, it also shows up in verse 41, right? The one who sows originally and then the one who sends out for harvest, it's the son of man. He's the one who's affecting everything. If Jesus didn't come here, you know, Christianity wouldn't exist. He is the force behind everything. And so the kingdom, really, it is Jesus. And he's going to use this kingdom for good. He is its king, and he's going to lead it somewhere profitable. And so the Son of Man is going to affect both the beginning and the end of, of this era of the kingdom, I guess. So he enters the world. The, the son puts the kingdom citizens out there. He puts them in the world. The devil interferes with them. But the overarching message of this parable is not that the devil got away with it. It's not that it's okay. It is that, hey, um, we'll deal with it eventually. Because what happened is, you know, the devil put evil in around us. And uh, that's kind of unfortunate. But if Jesus just destroys everything now then we don't have a chance to grow right the wheat the wheat doesn't have a chance to bloom and be productive he's just, he could rip out the weeds sure he could take away all the bad people but he'd also have to take away the good people before they were as productive as he wanted them to be and so ultimately he's going to let them grow he's going to let us grow and produce and work while we can, and whenever harvest time comes, whenever that is, who knows, um, it's going to have grown like he wants it to. He's going to harvest, and he's going to store the good people and get rid of the bad because that was their choice. They chose. They chose what heart they had, 
in the sower part one and now they chose their consequences in the sower part two and so don't you don't want verse 42 but you do want verse 43 i think verse 43 is really cool it's a it's a callback to daniel chapter 12 i think it is um at least that's something that came up that seems really really similar to it um daniel chapter 12 i'll go ahead and read that um verse chapter 12 starting in verse 1 talking about like final judgment in times kind of thing um and and people argue that whether it's final judgment or whether it's just judgment in that day i don't know either way it works um daniel 12 part verse 1 at that time michael the great prince who stands watch over your people will rise up there will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time but at that time all the people who are found written in the book will escape here's something that should sound familiar many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt that idea of dividing the wheat and the weeds that's right there and then in verse three those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom let anyone who has ears listen what side do you want to be on it's that simple so before we wrap up here just a couple things at the end this isn't a this isn't a super like practical series of things uh, but it should give you a couple things to at least consider um, firstly the idea of kingdom the idea of kingdom as just a theme I think it crops up five times it crops up like the uh, the tears in the wheat um, <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad pun. Um, but the idea of kingdom, it, it comes up like five times. Uh, verse 24, verse 31, 33, 38, and 43, I believe. I might have missed one or two in there. Um, but I think it's just the five times. I hope you get the point that the, uh, the kingdom's pretty important, and the kingdom's pretty vital, and maybe we should listen to that when Jesus talks about it. I, I think something super important about the kingdom that maybe we don't think about enough. I don't. I don't think of it actively enough. Um, it, it's found in verse thirty-two. The idea that it's going to grow up, be taller than all the garden plants, and and all the connotations that that has. But the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. The kingdom takes care of its people. The kingdom provides shelter and provision for its people. And if you're a part of it, then you get those blessings. The idea that the kingdom provides. Um, I don't know it's it's under thought about and i don't consider it enough so keep that in mind god provides for his people and whatever that looks like it all ends up being good ultimately that's in verse 32 i think an idea an important idea one of the last ones in verse like like 40 and 41 but really all throughout the 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 parable of the sower part two um the parable of the tares and the wheat if you want to stick with that terminology um verse 40 verse 41 that jesus is declaring when things happen jesus is sending out the judgment and he is starting the process as well i think it's just important to recognize that god owns creation and he's allowed to do with it whatever he wants to 
right? And so God can start the process by which he sends the kingdom into the world. God can start the process by which he delivers his people from the world. And we don't, we can't really say anything against that. We can't stop that. And so just recognize and accept that God owns creation. And that is a wonderful thing if you're on his side. And that brings us to the last point, probably the most obvious one. Um, it, it's, it's a heavy way to put it. But do you want to be in verse 42 or do you want to be in verse 43? Because that's ultimately the question. What group do you want to be in? The, those, the, the weeds that get put somewhere not very nice or the wheat that gets sheltered, that gets preserved, and that gets good use. Do you want to be productive during your life or not produce anything? Because that's going to determine where you end up. And so the sower, the, the first part of the sower, what heart do you want to be? The second part of the sower, it's showing you what heart you should want if you didn't get that already. Hopefully those ideas are helpful for you. Again, that's not like super practical, but maybe it's some good things to keep in mind. And I hope that you've been reminded of something that's productive there. Next week, we're going to try to finish up chapter 13, at least do the rest of the parables. Um, probably just finish off the rest of the chapter because that would that would be nice and neat. Um, the week after that, I am not sure if I'm recording anything or not. The, the That's the Monday after Thanksgiving, I believe. So we'll see what happens, but if nothing shows up, then you know I just got busy with travel and stuff, and that's my fault. I'll get back on it the week after that. So yeah, that's the basically the news section, and hopefully you won't be surprised. I'll, I'll determine my plans more fully by next week. So brings us to the end of this section. We'll pick up in verse 44 next time. Thanks for listening. Hope you've benefited from it. Hope it's something that's helpful uh, to keep in mind as you're going throughout your day-to-day. So, hope you've benefited, hope you've enjoyed, and I guess I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.